good morning. You guys look nice. I, um, you know the lights keep me from seeing you guys, right? So, so we have good news. Uh, Friday, we finished all the paperwork, signed all the stuff for the loan, and uh, we're, we're building now, just so you know. Um, it's happening. <clears throat> so as of this week, actually like tomorrow, we're going to start having stuff brought here and there'll be equipment and there'll be supplies and some stuff like that uh, that will be out here. So um, it's exciting. It's good. We're, um, we're about to have water in this building. <laughs> like all the rich churches have. We're so excited. I know, I know this is just like the first part of the building stuff, but I keep saying this is like the most exciting part to me because we can't water the grass, we can't do anything um, until we get this. And so, so it's, it's good, exciting. You'll see some stuff. We are doing that on the 10th. As, as uh, Kate mentioned, we're, we're, um, we're going to have the groundbreaking. I think there's going to be ground broken before then, but we'll just pretend like it hasn't been, and we'll act like our groundbreaking is the first of the groundbreaking. So that'll be, you, we'll, we'll provide um, hamburgers, hot dogs, that kind of stuff. You provide uh, side dishes and we'll hang out and immediately after service, we'll do the groundbreaking and then we'll just um, um, eat. Okay. I was, um, <clears throat> I was thinking about this with, um, I'm, always, I'm always trying to keep us reminded and, and have us focus on the fact that God is God and that we're not that God is sovereign, that he is, he is the all-consuming one, and we're not. And, and part of the reason there's so much, um, there's so much humanism that in, has invaded America and the American church, but, but a lot of humanism and, and just this kind of um, arrogance, this narcissistic arrogance that is so much a part of our society today, that, that it, and, it, and, it, and it rushes into the church, and we're seeing this all through the church too, where we have this this um, mentality that, that like God works for us, that um, God is at our beck and call, that kind of thing. And I think it's part of my responsibility to remind us that is not true. In fact, that's a very dangerous mentality. That's a, that's a dangerous mindset. That's an unhealthy mindset. Because we start actually thinking, see, this is the way you're supposed to look at your Christian walk. Everything about your existence rotates around God. Um, everything about us for, from God's perspective, for us, not totally from God's perspective, but for us, rotates around us. But the moment we get that out of balance and we start letting our life rotate around us, we're pulling ourselves away from God and his sovereignty because we are supposed to completely be about God. We'll let him be about us as much as he wants to, which is a lot. In fact, it's a lot more than we could ever be about him. But we cannot let our Christian walk and our understanding of God and our relationship with God ever become about us. We've missed the whole thing at that point. That, that this really is about God. It's about him. It's about his sovereignty. That the, the ground we walk on, God created. I didn't. The air that I breathe, God made that. I didn't make that. Um, everything that we see, this, this is one of the things that I love. I've been, in, I've been in Colorado for 25 years. I grew up in Texas, but I've been here for 25 years. And and uh, every day, I, I, I live out east, so I come to the church coming west, and the mountains fill the horizon. Um, my office faces, I can see the Air Force Academy uh, chapel, or the big box that used to be the chapel. And, uh, and that's what I look at every day, is those mountains and the mountain ranges. And, and it's amazing to me how, how big God is that he can do that stuff. And you realize that wasn't even like a thing for God. That was just like a blip, making, making the Rocky Mountains. Just like a pink for him. We, we should constantly be reminded that God is the one that's in charge. That God is the creator. God is the ruler. God is the authority. He's the sovereign one. Um, we're, we're people that he made, and we're the, 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 you know, to use the term, we're the apple of his eye. There's no doubt about that. But we can't be the apple of our own eye. It, it begins to really twist this thing. And then knowing this and seeing the, the, the awesomeness of God, the majesty of God and all of the stuff, you know, creation shouts out that he is God. Once we, once we see that, I think there's supposed to be a natural next step that says, then therefore it must be about God, not just from God. Creation is not just from God. I'm not, I'm not just created from God and he breathes his, his spirit into me. 
it must be about God, too. It must be for God. That my existence is about God. That the earth is about God. That everything on this planet is about God. And the, and the reason that everything gets so broken and messed up is because we lose that perspective and we start thinking it's about something else. And it doesn't matter what else comes after that. When we start thinking it's about something else and it's not about God, uh, it, it really messes with us. Our lives, the reason we can get our lives into so much mess is because we, we allow our existence to be about something except God. God is not, God's not a sidecar. It comes alongside. God is the focus. God is the everything. And our existence is in him. In, in him we live and we move and we have our being. Everything is about God. We're supposed to be getting that, surrendering, constantly pushing back the stuff of life and the stuff of the world to make sure that this really is about God for us. That the reason that we can then have a job is because God. The reason that we can um, have a family is because of God. Not, not just that he gives it to us, but it's about that. My family is about God. <clears throat> my marriage is about God. My workplace is about God. It's not just from him. And <clears throat> I was talking a little bit about this this week with a group of guys that, <clears throat> that I, um, I, uh, I go online and I live, we, they have a, like a chapel service every week, every Wednesday morning, and these are pastors from all over the world. And it's uh, with Joshua's nation. And, and um, Vili, one of the guys that goes here, is works with Joshua Nations, and he's the one that, that um, kind of is in charge of this. And, <coughs> and I've spoke for him a couple times. Uh, he's from South Africa. He's, he's here in the United States, been here for a long time. But uh, I, I spoke for him this Wednesday. And I love to, I love to go to, the, to, to listen, just sit and listen to these guys every week because they're all over the world, from, from literally the whole world, not just like parts, but all of Latin America, all of Africa, Europe, Eastern Europe, all over the place these, these guys are. And uh, they're pastors and, and um, church leaders and things like that, mostly pastors. And so the, uh, this, this last week I was speaking, and um, I, I spoke a little bit about kind of what I'm talking about this morning, but not really. And, and, um, and then one of the guys, which is Vili, the guy that goes here, it's his father who's a pastor in South Africa. And he, uh, he said, do you mind if I say something? And... Um, and he, and he began to talk about it. He says, I don't know how it is in America, but in South Africa, he said, we've lost our reverence for God. We don't, we don't fear God anymore. We don't revere him. And, you know, we kind of come and go. We do church as we want, and we, we do Christianity as we want. It's not really about being sold out or committed or, or really what is my mission in life and how can I help people know Jesus we, they, we just kind of live our life, and then every now and then we go to church, and we feel good about ourselves spiritually. And he talked about that for a little bit. And I did have to tell him, I said, well, it is like that in America. It's uh, not just South Africa. In fact, I, I've, I've been to South Africa, and I would say that it's much worse in America. That we just don't, we just don't revere God. It's like God's an afterthought sometimes. And even if we really like him, and, and, and we're kind of serving him, or... there's still a lack of of something of reverence that's involved with this um when i was growing up there was now these are not necessarily good good rules and things like that but when i was growing up the uh, sanctuary of the church was like a holy place right you weren't allowed to go in there and um which i don't agree with by the way i don't think that this building is holy within itself i think that the lord's presence is with us right now and that's holy that we are here and we are the church, we are the body of Christ in a building, and it's the Spirit of God with us and in us that makes this holy ground kind of thinking like Moses, right? It's not the building itself. But I do know from when I was a kid, you, you weren't allowed to, to go in the sanctuary, play around in the sanctuary. And if you ever ran in the sanctuary, there's a good chance God was going to kill you. And, and that kind of mentality, and that stretched to a lot of stuff, right? Uh, there was a lot of things that we kind of included with that. And, and I, don't, I don't agree with that mentality, but I do know this. It gave me a reverence and, and a fear for God that invaded every single area of my existence. Um, I remember when the kind of the hyper-faith um, prosperity movement really got strong. Some of the things that they were saying scared me to death. 
that you, that you demand from God what you want, what you need, you demand from God, and God has to be obedient to his word, and so he has to do it. And I'm thinking, that is just a bad idea. I think that's a horrible idea. Why? Well, here's one thing. I did this years ago. I, I spoke this to a youth group, and the, 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 um, the, the series, the sermon series was called God Tapping His Toe. This plays well for teenagers. You'll get it. But the, the idea of it is this. The heavens is God's seat. Scripture tells us this. Psalm says the heavens is his seat and the earth is his footstool. You better respect God because if he taps his toe, he can take out America. That, that's reality, guys. If the, if, the, if the earth is his footstool, that means he props his feet up. And by the way, I think this is just the best David could do. I, I don't think this is a pure description of God. He's way bigger than that. He's way bigger than the, earth, the heavens is his seat. He, he created all of the heavens. The heavens are outside of, of the, the existence of who he is. I mean, he's outside of that. The heavens are something that he creates and he looks at. He holds the stars in the sky. That, that sovereign God, it says that he, he props his feet up on the earth. I think as, as earthlings, we better be very concerned about that God. We better be very, very uh, humbled before that God. We better recognize his sovereignty and his majesty and his perfection and his power and his authority and the fact that his righteousness so far extends anything we could ever understand and that his holiness eclipses all. He, he, the scripture says our holiness is just filthiness to him and that we've got to respect this God, not just, not just bring him alongside and hope he blesses what we're doing but humble ourselves before the Holy King, recognizing he is the one that's in charge. I'm not in charge. He is. Daniel chapter 1. I, I love this. I, 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 I love all the stuff about Daniel. I just love everything about Daniel. But there's something that is, to me is consistent throughout the story of Daniel. One is he was a young man. And, and I think that's important in the story. But he was a young man. But he always put God first over everything. It didn't matter who was saying something to him, who was demanding something, what was going on, what the rules were. None of those things matter. He always put God first. So the Babylonians come in and they attack the Jewish people and they, take, they capture them. And uh, then they take the, a lot of the younger men, like um, uh, late pubescent, early teenage time frame, and they take them into the Babylonian kingdom and they start, they're interns, basically. They're learning the ways of the kingdom they're learning science, they're learning all this other kind of stuff so that they can um, help be those things in society, help be the, the uh, um, a, look at the stars, astronomy, looking at um, science, any medicines, any of those kind of things, so they can be a help to the, to the kingdom, right? And so this is where Daniel <clears throat> and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which, by the way, those are their Babylonian names, and Daniel is his Jewish name. You can study that a little bit. There's a reason why I believe that Daniel kept, through Scripture, that means God used Daniel's name, but God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for the most part, although in some translations they use their uh, other name. That's, I'm not talking about that this morning, so you've got to figure it out. Go study it. <clears throat> but, but they bring him in. Daniel is given a position of authority, given the, the, um, given the diet of the king now, given the pampering of the king, all this other kind of stuff. And this is where we come into this. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. That, that was just enough for Daniel. I'm, I'm not going to do what the king says. I'm not being disrespectful to the king, but this is a rule that God gave me that overrides the king's rules. That's a major statement in any society, in any time in history, that, that when God tells me something, it overrides anything else anybody in leadership can, can tell me. Okay, Wrap that up in Romans chapter 13, because there's a lot of people that are confused about Romans 13 right now in our Christian world. But when God tells me something, that overrides anything else. And that was Daniel's mentality. If God said it, that's the way that it is. I'm, I'm not going to either. You know, when I, when I was a kid, I would, I would read this and I didn't understand. To me, I was like, 
Okay, is the diet that big of a deal? To God, it was a big deal, okay? But I don't think this is as much about the diet as it is Daniel saying, God said it. It doesn't matter what it comes after that. If God said it, that's what I do. That's how I think. That's how I live. In fact, people have asked me many times over the years, why should you get baptized in water? The, the, one of the main reasons is because God said so. There's reasons. There's spiritual reasons. There's, there's um, very important theological reasons. But one of the reasons is because God said so. And, and for me, that's actually good enough. Most of the time. Sometimes it's not. I have to question God and all that. But if God said it, then our responsibility is to say, okay, God, you said it. I'll, I'll do it even if I don't understand what's going on. You said do this. And Daniel said, I'm not going to go along with the diet that the king said. God's already given me my diet. Now, again, this is, this is slightly confusing to me because diet doesn't seem that big of a deal, as you've probably noticed. But, <clears throat> for example... The queen has given me a dietary plan. But I go by my own dietary plan. Daniel said, no, if God said it, that's it. Now let's go down to Daniel chapter 2. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I'm, I must know what it means. He didn't just ask him to tell him what it means. He said, tell me the dream itself. Why? Because if he just tells them the dream, and they don't have to come up with that, then they can make up anything. Right? I see, I see that all across the Christian world today. That we're, we're not really hearing from God. We're just saying stuff that we think goes with the story. We, we're just saying, you know, this happens. I, I, I saw this this week, this, this article. Now, now, let me throw this out here so there's no confusion, because I do get a lot of questions about this. I get way more questions about this than my sermon itself. I don't think it's a sin to get the vaccine. Okay? It seems to be that's what people think. Because I'm telling you the truth about what's going on with the vaccine, that somehow I think you're wrong if you get the vaccine. I've never said that. What I say is, you need to do your homework. I have chosen not to get the vaccine, and I'm not going to get the vaccine. Okay? That's my choice. I'm not saying you are bad if you get the vaccine. At the end of the day, what is the answer to the question? First, you've got to know the question. What's the deal with the vaccine? Do what God says. That's the answer to the vaccine. Do what God says. If you, if you have no um, issues with it whatsoever and the vaccine's a, a good idea to do and you don't feel like God's saying anything, then get the vaccine. If you feel like God is telling you specifically to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. I feel like God has told me not to. That's why I, I say some of this stuff. Plus, I also think that most people in America are not paying attention to truth. And so I try to give some stuff about the vaccine. Um, just because you asked. Uh, Switzerland, did you see where Switzerland said it's just the same as the flu now, we're taking all restrictions off? So, so if you have business in Switzerland, you're welcome to travel there. I mean, that's about the only country you can go to right now, but, you know, you can go over the hills of France like they did in World War II and you can make it into Switzerland. So here's the thing with this. I, I think you have to do what God tells you to do. You have to listen to God, you can't just make up stuff and say, well, this is okay, or this is, or I feel this way. You're, guys, you don't have the luxury. You may do that, but you don't have the luxury to just say, this is what I want to do. You have to ask God. If God tells you not to get the vaccine, don't get it. If God tells you get the vaccine, get it. But don't try to make anybody else, including me, do anything. That's my argument. You want to get the vaccine? Fine. I saw an article this week. Like 10 people sent it to me. An article this week from a, a pastor, I think he's here in town, that wrote this long article about how if you don't get the vaccine, you are hurting people, you're putting people at risk, and you are a danger. Therefore, you are ungodly because God is pro-vaccine. That's what the article said. And at the end of it, he said, um, you cannot say that God didn't, told you not to get the vaccine because God doesn't do that. 
I'm like, who are you? Who do you think you are? I don't need you to tell me whether God is telling me something or not. I listen to God myself. That, that's, that's my argument with this. It's just that when you start mandating, you start doing that, whatever happened to my body, my choice? Right? And I'm actually, this is actually my body. This is actually my body. It's not, a, it's not somebody else's body inside of me that I'm making a decision for. I'm making a decision my body. So guys, I think on, on that level of importance, you need to talk to God about it. And here's the other thing is when God tells you, then you have to hold to that. And you can't compromise. Now, if God says, I don't know, whatever you want to do, then do that. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I have a dream. Tell me the dream. Don't just tell me what you think about what I'm going to tell you. You've got to actually tell me the dream. Makes it much harder, right? Makes it much more difficult. Verse 12. The king was furious. All these guys were saying, we can't tell you the dream. What do you think we are, enchanters? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're enchanters. What do you think we are, magic? Oh, yeah, we're magic, too. We're magicians. They said, we can't tell you the dream. Nobody can do that. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon... Be executed. That's what I like to do when nobody agrees with me. <laughs> and because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. Although they hadn't actually been told about this yet. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. You know, that's a good starting point. Why did Daniel handle it? He's a young man. Why did Daniel handle it with wisdom and discretion? Because Daniel's... First step always is, God, what do you say? If you start with the fear of God, you're going to have the right answers. You've got to start there. You've got to humble yourself before God in everything. That has to be your starting point. And so he handled this with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Now, here is Daniel's answer. So, so, so Daniel, you're going to get killed. Why? Because the king wants you to tell him his dream and then interpret it. So what is Daniel's answer? Daniel immediately says, I'm, I'm expounding, expanding this. Um, Daniel immediately says, well, I can't know dreams. I'm just a human. Humans don't know other people's dreams. Okay? I wouldn't be able to uh, tell you what it meant because I'm just a human. But this is a great starting point for Daniel, is he does say, but there's got to be more than just Nebuchadnezzar had bad food the night before. This is too big. It's too important. Our lives are at stake, yes, but God, I believe that this is a moment that you have brought me to. How do we know that? Because the next thing he does, he goes home and tells um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven. That's where he starts. Because why? God knows dreams. God's not human. And, and I believe that Daniel is even processing the mentality that not only does God know dreams, but because of the, the grandness of this moment, and just seems like this is a, a power encounter kind of moment, that maybe God actually gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. If God gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream, he can tell Daniel the dream. He gave it to him, he can tell somebody else. So he's, he's um, saying, okay, then God, you tell me, you tell me the dream. Uh, you tell me what's going on with all of this. Um, where's our security? Can you go out in the parking lot? So he says, okay, you tell me the dream. You tell me the answer to the dream. You tell me what's going on. Because why? God is the God of heaven. He's the ones in charge. See, Daniel paused on it. Guys, we don't do this well in our society today. We don't take the time to say, could this possibly be a divine moment in my life? Could this possibly be something that God is doing? Could this, I'm just saying in normal day life, like your neighbors, you're your, at the grocery store. I'm not saying that every single moment is a, is a God moment, a, um, a, a power encounter kind of moment, but I do believe that these things happen and we don't pay attention to them. 
God is trying to get us to say something to somebody, interact with somebody, connect with somebody, do something. And we don't think about it because we're going through life. The routine of life and the normalcy of life will keep us distracted from the bigger picture of what's happening. It's just normal, just the, just the rut that we're in called life. We will be distracted from the stuff that's going on around us that God is trying to do. You know, when, when Peter gets up in the last part of Acts chapter 2, and he quotes from Joel, and he said, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural thing. And he says, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. I, I know I harp on this, but guys, this is important. I really believe that God is trying to, to um, give us dreams and visions on a regular basis. But I think that we have trained ourselves in American Christianity to not see it. We, we, we are so, since the age of, in, of reason and scientific revolution, we know all the answers. We've figured out everything scientifically, and we know everything about evolution, all this stuff. We're not allowed to actually think and process on a spiritual level in America, and, and we've even pushed that into the church so much that we don't even think spiritually in the church. We think, we think humanly about spiritual things, but things like dreams and visions, we don't process like that. That God wants to speak to you? We don't process like that. And I believe that God's trying to do that all the time. He's trying to tell you stuff all the time. He is trying to walk with you in the cool of the evening and speak to you daily, constantly. But we've got to train ourselves. We've got to train our thinking and our brains. We've got to train ourselves. God, are, are you speaking now? Is this, is this you? You're, that you just shopping at the grocery store and all of a sudden this moment just seems different this person that just said hello to you it seems different pay attention to it do like like peter and john did they looked upon this man with intention something was different they looked at him they gazed on him strongly a lot of ways the translations say that and then and then the guy ends up uh being completely healed do, we have those moments all the time we just don't see them very much and I think Daniel sees this moment. And he realizes this is bigger than him. God, you are doing this. You brought Nebuchadnezzar to this point. And there's got to be a reason I've been brought to Babylon. This could be part of it. So what are you, gonna, what are you speaking? So what do they do? The first thing they do, let's pray. God, we're going to seek you with all of this. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed. That's also a good reason, along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Daniel didn't, doesn't interpret dreams. That, that kind of irritates me and bothers me. I know this is more semantical probably. I don't know how much it is um, theological. But when people talk about, well, they, you know, this, is their, this is what they do. They interpret dreams. or they, you know, they, um, I don't even like it when people use the term, I'm a prophet. I know that, yes, I'm not totally tearing that down, okay? I know there is such a thing. People act prophetically. I mean, in fact, I believe there's a great book written by a, an Assemblies of God guy in Canada. And, and not, you, you ask yourself, can any good thing come out of Canada? Well, it can. <laughs> so, so here's the thing with that is, uh, he wrote a book called The Prophethood of All Believers. It's a small little book, great book. Because it helps you realize we, we're supposed to be thinking and acting like prophets. But I have, the problem, I have a problem when somebody says, I am a prophet. Because my next, my next sentence always is, so if you're wrong, do I stone you? Right? I'm not playing games here. That's serious. God's pretty serious when you start saying, I'm speaking for him. He's pretty serious about that. And so we see where Daniel immediately recognized God, you're the, the source of this. I can't, I don't interpret dreams. You do. I can interpret, I can say what you have interpreted to me. That's the same thing that we believe strongly around here in the gifts of the Spirit. We want messages and tongues, interpretation, and stuff like that. But the person is not interpreting what they heard. The person is saying what God put in their heart as the interpretation or in their mind or however that may work for them. But they didn't hear somebody speak and they said, oh, that's what they said. That's not what the scripture means. Okay. So down to verse 27. Then Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. 
I love this. He's standing right in the courts. All these guys are standing there, right? All around him. And these guys have been, they're scared that they're going to die. And they've been saying, um, we can, nobody can do this. King Nebuchadnezzar, nobody can tell you what your dream is. It's not possible. And so he stands up and he agrees. He says, none of you guys know the wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers. Right in the courts, in front of everybody and in front of the king, he calls them out and he says, you don't know because you don't know God. You don't have the answer. You may act like you have the answer. You may say things and all the people in the, in the country think you know the answers, but you don't. Why? Because you don't know God. He says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar, what will happen in the future? Now, I will tell you the dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. But Daniel's not the one doing it. God's doing it through Daniel. Now, I, I really think it is, we are to a place in our country where there has to be Daniels standing up in the, in the public settings. There has to be Daniels in the courts. There has to be Daniels in the, um, in the House of Representatives, in the Senate. There has to be Daniels in... in um, in politics, there has to be Daniels. Guys, where you, you may not have wanted to be here, you, this may not be your plan, they, you may not have looked to this, but God has, has put you and called you for such a time as this, and you're going to have to do some things. Okay, I, I believe, and this is why we've, we've had some of the stuff we've had around here lately, as I believe that, that some of you need to run for school board in your, in your district. I don't want to do that. If God tells me I'll do it, but I don't want to do that. that I, that's not, that can't be fun. Right? But some of you need to run for school board. Some of you need to be paying attention to some politics and getting involved as delegates and things like that. We had a seminar here about that. Because we're, we have to make a difference. We have to make a change. We have to stand up and say, no, God is the one that's God. And just because you come up with something doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's moral. Doesn't mean it's good. Remember, I said this about um, District 49. That's the district I live in where my, when I, two of my kids went to high school. And um, the, the, a few, a few uh, months ago, they were talking about um, that they'd had a vote whether they were going to embrace uh, CRT or, or reject CRT. And the vote was, um, I think it was three to two, or was it five to two? Somebody? Three to two. It was three to two. Uh, against CRT, and everybody was excited about this. People were sending me the article, hey, we, we did this, we pushed back, everybody's excited about this, and here's, what, here's the problem I had with that. It only won by one vote, and there are two normal-thinking human beings that think CRT was a good thing. This should be taught to our kids. So here's my answer. That three-to-two vote showed me we need to vote two people out and get some normal, moral-thinking people in that position. As that may be you. It, it might be you. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to be Daniels. We have to take... There's, there's moments in life when you just have to stand up and say, it's not okay that this is happening. I have to do something. I have to. I'm going to show you a little video clip, and this is from representative from uh, Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And this is, um, <clears throat> there's some stuff at the first of this. It's not, it's not my goal to play this, but I want to play the whole thing so you get the context. She's going to be talking about Biden. She's going to be talking about Afghanistan and the border. Okay? The last part, all of, it's, all of it's her heart and her mentality. But the last part about abortion is what I want us to focus on. And here's the thing that gets it with me is she has really been ostracized by many within the Republican Party. Because she's, she's too far out there. That's the way they look at it. She says things that are too confrontational. You know, things like abortion is wrong. I'm, I'm serious. She says things that are just too confrontational. But here's the thing is, and I, and I believe that I'm assessing this properly, I believe that she's a lot more concerned about what God thinks than what about Pelosi thinks. Or Schumer, or or um, any, anybody on the Republican side, I think she's proved that. But she, she's more worried about what God thinks. 
about this. And I see this moment that she's doing here. I see this as a Daniel moment. Now, it's wrapped up in, some people will say, well, pastor's bringing out politics again. Okay, tell me the difference between that and what Daniel did. It was just the politics of his day. Sounded different, but it's still politics. But the difference was, these things have to do with God. Not just taxes or something like that. This has to do with God. So let's look at this video clip. What purpose does the gentlewoman from Georgia seek recognition? Madam Speaker, I ask unanimous consent to address the House for one minute and advise and extend my remarks. Without objection, the gentlewoman is recognized for one minute. I've introduced articles of impeachment on President Joe Biden. The reason why I've done so is for his disgraceful actions having to do with Afghanistan, abandoning Americans, arming and terrorist nation, the Taliban, which is treason, giving aid and comfort to our enemies. But also, I've also introduced articles of impeachment for the national security crisis created at our southern border, which today is actually being invaded. But heading into this week, perhaps the most evil and disgusting thing that is going to happen in this 117th Congress is the bill that's going to be introduced that makes it a federal law to allow abortion up until the day of birth. This wall says, in God we trust. And if that is the case, then this Congress will reject this evil bill and protect the innocent unborn. If this nation becomes a nation where we have such a federal law that can kill a baby up until the day of birth, then God will no longer provide protection in his grace over America. Thank you. I yield the remainder of my time. Now, here is here's something to process. You know how many people sitting in that room? Well, there's almost nobody sitting in there right now, but but normally would be sitting in that room that think that that's crazy. There's no God. God's going to bless us or judge us. Or, that stuff's just made up. That's, those are fairy tales. That's not real. You know how many people across America today believe that she's crazy when she's saying something against abortion? Abortion is not that big of a deal. It's just a fetus. It doesn't matter. And it's, you know, it's, it's the right of the mother to choose whether their child lives or dies. So my thinking is, why doesn't that work at 10 years old? Right? Don't we put moms in prison for murdering their kids at 10? Why don't we put them in prison for murdering kids at 10 weeks? Right? This is, this is craziness. But she will stand up in that public forum and talk to the people of power and, and talk about her God, whether they agree or not, it doesn't matter. That her God will not be okay with this. Because it's the same language Daniel's using. All you other guys, you can't, you can't tell him the dream. But my God knows the dream. My God can tell you the dream. Has this... this we, we have got to have more of these Daniel moments. And I believe that it comes from one basic thing. Do we revere the God of the universe? Is he really God over everything? Or is he just something that is, is, is good? It's a good moral plan for us. Do you understand the difference in what I'm saying? Just kind of going along in Christian thinking? That's not okay. God, is, God has never been okay with that. We've just convinced ourselves in the church that that's okay. God wants you, he wants you completely, and he wants you humbled and bowed before him in submission. And then saying, God, now what, is, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? What is my life to be about? In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, you must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. I love the New, the New Living Translation there, and cling to him. In other words, you can't do without him. One of my favorite songs that we sing, words we haven't sang it here in a long, long time, um, maybe ever, but is um, uh, the, the song says, when your heart beats, I want to feel it. Talking about God, I don't want to be so close to you that when your heart beats, I want to feel it. That, to me, that's Christian thinking. That's Christian living. God, I don't want to be so close to you that I, that I, that I, I know when you're, when you're breathing, when your heart's beating. I know that's allegory to some extent but psalms 91 says that he will cover me with his uh, uh feathers that he will wrap his wings around me and that i will that his truth will be my shield and my buckler so there is a, there is this this mentality i want to get as close i want to cling to him 
Your oaths must be in his name only. It's not about your ideas and your promises or your plans, but when you're making oaths and promises, they better be from God and for God, not just about ourselves. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. Psalms chapter 111, verse 10, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. When we fear God, we are opening the door to walking in true wisdom, in absolute truth, and in, in healthiness and of, of how we're supposed to be. When you fear God, you're opening the door to healthy marriage. You're opening the door to healthy life. You're opening the door to understanding. See, we try to do this from a human perspective, try to say, well, I can arrive at the conclusion, whatever it is, either relational or, or scientific or whatever. We, I can arrive at the conclusion just because why? Just because I have decided I'm going to think about it. Well, you're... You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. But if you'll submit yourself to God and say, God, you are the king and fear God. It's amazing how God will bring you wisdom. It's amazing how God will bring you understanding. He will guide you and he will lead you in ways that don't even make sense sometimes. But God will do this because why? It's the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. Well, that's a lot, <laughs> right? Isn't that the category of that's pretty, pretty big? But what John is trying to establish is your life is small and it's temporal in comparison to the big picture. See, you and I are eternal people. I am looking at the non-eternal part of you. The part that's looking back at me is the eternal part. I can't see the eternal part, but, but you are the eternal person looking at, at my temporalness. And he's saying, so your body can be killed by a human. Okay. And that's going to happen, but that's not eternal. Don't, don't, don't spend your life stressing and fretting over that. He says the big picture, but I tell you, but I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. That's pretty sobering right there. And he's not, he's not playing around with this. I mean, and here's something else. I, I looked at this. I normally don't bring, you guys know this, I don't normally bring out like the Greek words and all that kind of stuff. I think that just bores people. But here's something that, that this fear God, I looked at this, what, what Luke was actually trying to say, the word he was actually trying to use. It, the definition of it is to put to flight, to terrify, to frighten. Nowhere in there does it say holy respect. Right? Although that is the definition that every, everybody is supposed to use nowadays. That's the, that's the party line in church thinking is when you say fear God, you must mean. And the writer must have meant holy respect because we we shouldn't be afraid of god and again i don't think we should walk around scared of god but at the same time the earth is his footstool that should get in our head that he that he literally has the power over your eternity that should concern us that should get in our head and in our spirit and 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 make us think and process well maybe he's kind of big Maybe he's kind of powerful. Because we've, and this is the thing. In fact, the, the Greek word is, is um, um, phobio. You know where that leads to? Phobias. Fears. Not holy respects of spiders. Fear of spiders. Blatant fear. I was driving in my Jeep the other day. I don't have a top on it. I'm driving in my Jeep the other day. And this, this bee comes in the, in the Jeep. Well, bees don't concern me that much. I kind of, you know, open the window and try to shoo the bee out. And bee lands on my hand. I'm like, and flick him out the window. As I turn back to the, to the window, a spider comes down the window. I almost just bailed right there. <laughs> I'm like, this is not my Jeep no more, you know. <laughs> now, here's the thing with this, guys. This is... The, the, that we're supposed to fear God. 
Now, yes, we're supposed to have a holy respect. And I don't think we're supposed to run around scared of him. But, I, but, but I'm going to continue to push this. I do believe that we also are supposed to have a fear. He can do anything. Doesn't that at some particular point now you say, but he loves us. And so he's not going to hurt us. I get that. But we also, and because we have grace, that works. But we also see where God opened up the ground and swallowed 300 people. You should be concerned with that. Right? Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world. Now, some people think that this angel was preaching the good news, and I don't think that's what he's trying to say. Um, 50 years ago, that was kind of the normal way of thinking about Revelation teaching. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that it's the angel is making sure that the evangelists, like the 144, and these have the gospel. He's protecting the gospel, which, by the way, has always been done. Think about, think about how we can have the word of God today in almost perfect form from thousands of years. Somebody's been protecting it. Right? So this angel is doing this and, in, and he's um, carrying the eternal good news okay, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. So here's the eternal good news. Verse 7, fear God. That's the eternal good news. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him. That's the good news. See, we try to... We try to uh, had this and fix it and do all this other kind of stuff. In fact, we had a conversation. My family did this this last week. I, I wasn't really involved in the first part. I was just reading it, where everybody's back and forth with um, with Facebook Messenger, and and now my daughter was talking about or, or something. Or, there was a sermon that she saw at the chapel at at, her, at Southwestern, and this guy was riding a horse. She took a picture of it, and he was preaching from a horse riding around the chapel in the uh, in the university. And, um, and I, you know, I don't, that doesn't bother me. I ride a horse. If that'll help people's attention, whatever. I'm okay, you know. Make sure he's got a bag on the back, whatever. But, but whatever it takes. I get that. I don't really have a problem with that. But I do think that the church has gone to the point where we can't just preach the gospel. And so both my boys, one sitting here and my oldest, they immediately just begin to say, why can't we just preach the gospel anymore? Why can't we just preach the gospel? Why do we have to flowered up and put things and and they were saying the gospel is the best story ever told it's the most exciting story ever told why can't we just preach the gospel and i'm sitting there reading this and i'm getting proud i'm like they've been listening to me all these years i'm so proud and then they said <laughs> and then they said my, my wife's father's name is denny and then they said i feel like i sound like denny You may have heard two or three sermons from him your entire life. You don't sound like Denny, you sound like Scott. That's Dr. Bottoms to you, sir. And then they start talking back and forth. Well, I guess we just sound like Denny. You just preach the gospel, we just sound like Denny. It means somebody to turn my phone off. Guys, I do believe there, there has to come a point. The gospel is all you really need. You need the gospel, I need the gospel. What is it? Fear God. If we start with that kind of reverence and that kind of humility and that kind of brokenness, you'll get to the cross quickly. You'll get to the cross. But what happens is we try to get to the cross that doesn't involve the fear of God and doesn't involve transition and change. It doesn't involve a, a, a cleaning and a regeneration. It doesn't involve repentance and forgiveness. It just is, well, that's a good story. Let's do that. Because it doesn't start with fear God. The one who's in charge of your soul and your eternity. Fear God. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> I want to pray for us. But then I want to invite you, while I'm praying, I guess, but I want to invite you to, to before you leave here, I, I, don't, I don't want to make this like a, we're praying for each other kind of thing. This is not... But before you leave here, just, to, just to, to, to spend some time, kneel down before God if you can. I know physically some of you can't, I get that. But if you can, kneel down before God. If you need some space, come up to the altars. That's what they're for. Come up to the altars up here, kneel down. 
and just just submit to God. Just submit. Give reverence to the king. That I'm not the king, he is. Bow your life, bow your existence, bow your, your past, your present, your future. Bow that before God because he's the sovereign one. He's the only one. He's the everything. And take a few minutes before you leave. Don't, this is just my urging. Don't just pray a little bit and leave. Really process, God, I submit to you. I submit to you. Let me pray for us. God, we, we humble ourselves before you. You're the king. You're the king, Jesus. I'm not the king. You're God. I'm not God. Lord, you're the creator of everything. I've created nothing. God, you're the sovereign one. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves. I bow my soul, my life before you. I bow my existence before you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I, I bow my knee before you. That you're the king. You're the king. Lord, I don't want to take you for granted. I don't want to take you casually. Jesus, you're the king. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for being flippant with you. Forgive us for not taking you seriously. Forgive us for, for adding you on to our life instead of really surrendering our life to you. That you're the king. We submit to the king. Lord, you're the one that's in charge of my eternity. Not one person in this room can change my eternity. God, you hold it in your hands. God, I submit to you. Wash us. Wash us with the blood of Jesus. God, I pray for all across this room. God, help us not to, to think repentance is just saying you're sorry, but Lord, that we want to change. We want you to cover us with your blood and make us different. That you're the king. 